Hey, what's up everybody? Drew here, thatanxietyguy.com or facebook.com slash thatanxietyguy. If that's how you roll, I'm good with that. It is my first video on the new YouTube channel. I'm pretty excited about it. I really want to do video on a consistent basis. Uh, my schedule is really tight, so I'm going to try and squeeze them in when and where I can, and sometimes that's going to mean right here in the car. I know it's not like perfect in terms of audio and video quality, but uh, I'll do the best I can with them, and hopefully they will be useful to you regardless of the fact that I'm sitting in the car. In this video, I want to talk about body language. So it's kind of good that I'm in the car, and you'll see that uh, as I get further along here. So I want to talk about body language and how that's a really good indicator of how you're handling your anxiety symptoms. Now you guys, if you listen to my podcast or you followed me for any length of time, you hear me drone on and on about the same things all the time, uh, usually being you have to face your fear, you have to completely relax into it, you have to learn how to be having a swinging panic attack and be completely relaxed at the same time. Uh, and that sort of thing over and over and over. Now, where body language enters into this is that uh, you have to realize that it's really important to have both your mind and your body on board with that plan. So uh, you may buy into the whole relaxation, acceptance, floating, don't fight, don't flee, don't struggle. You may buy into it intellectually, and it may be in your head, but if your body isn't going along for that ride with it, then nothing. it doesn't really work. And actually, the flip side is true, too. So you may be able to completely relax your body and go like a complete wet noodle. But if you're a wet noodle and completely relaxed and your brain is in hyperdrive, just in that constant fear cycle of what if and oh my God thoughts, then it's not going to work out either. So you have to have your, your brain and your body kind of working together in that whole mode. Now... Body language is a really good way to tell whether or not your body is on board and working with the brain. And I will illustrate that with kind of my own thing, which does have to do with being in the car. When I go back to about 2008, 2009, when I was really, really struggling with high anxiety and, and panic all the time, uh, and there was a lot of agoraphobic stuff going on, much of that revolved around a phobia that I developed of getting in the car and driving anywhere by myself. Anything beyond about a quarter or a half mile from my house was a real challenge for me. So I knew I needed to get over that because that was kind of the central theme of my agoraphobic tendencies. And uh, I started research on YouTube and I was looking for videos about anxiety and agoraphobia and that sort of stuff. And I ran into a group of people, many of which I'm still friends with now, that were not only making videos about anxiety and their panic issues and agoraphobia, but they were also taking their cameras along with them when they went out to do exposure therapy work, when they went out and intentionally put themselves into anxiety-producing situations to practice, they would bring their cameras and record it and then post it. And uh, that I found very inspiring and very admirable, so I kind of joined along with them and I started doing the same. And when I would go out and practice my driving and start to push my radius out further, I would bring my little digital camera with me. Now, when I started watching those videos back, I go home, put them on the computer, and watch them. And after a while, a pattern started to become very apparent to me. And that pattern is, whenever I'd get to a point in the drive where I knew my anxiety level was rising, for instance, if I was going to make a turn that meant kind of pushing my boundary a little further than it normally would be, naturally that would make my anxiety levels go up, and I'd be a little worried about panic. And what I discovered is that I'd start 
engaging in the same behaviors and little ticks all the time. So everything was with my right hand. I would play with my ear and I would play with my nose, scratch my nose and play with my nose, tug on my ear. And especially I spent a lot of time kind of poking and prodding at my ribs and my chest and playing with my shirt like this. And I was doing that a lot. I was actually doing it almost all the time in the car, but those would really elevate in proportion to my anxiety level. So when I started to get more anxious and get a little closer to panic, those things would go really into kind of high gear. Additionally, I discovered that I was squinting when I felt more anxiety and I was kind of making a scrunchy face. And I was also pushing my chin forward and craning my neck in this really awkward position. And I should have known that because I was, the more I was out driving, the more I started to get kind of achy neck and shoulders. And it turns out I was craning my neck forward when I would get anxious. I was pushing my chin forward. I don't know why I was just doing that. And these are things that I was not even aware that I was doing until I saw myself on video doing them. And that told me almost immediately that while I thought I had it all together and I thought that I was all in on the exposure, acceptance, relaxation, facing the fear plan, it told me almost immediately that I wasn't really all in. My mind was all in with it and I was good with that, but my body had not signed up for the program just yet. So I had to get to work and start working on extinguishing these little behaviors. And I'll tell you why. They are actually safety behaviors, safety rituals, and avoidance behaviors. And let me, let me explain, I'll give you the 60 second version here. When you start to experience panic and anxiety and you are afraid of those things, and you begin to engage in whatever habits you have built over time, some of which you may not even be aware of. If you're snapping a rubber band on your wrist or turning up the music in the car or counting backwards from 100 or drinking water or popping a mint or having something to eat or whatever it is that you know that you do automatically in response to panic and anxiety symptoms, at some point your panic and anxiety will subside just because the physiology dictates that it's self-limiting and you cannot be in full bore panic mode for 10 hours at a time. When you begin to feel better, even if it's only a little better, you have now formed a mental and cognitive link between those things that you did, the rubber band, the glass of water, the mints, the ear tugging, and feeling better. So you've now reinforced the idea that if you do these things, they will save you from the danger. And all that does is build those habits and reinforce the mistaken belief that there's actually a danger that you need saving from, because there is not. So you are afraid, and now in your mind, you've built a little mental bridge that says, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I better start, in my case, I better start tugging on my ear and playing with my nose so that it'll be okay. I want this to go away. I'm gonna make it go away by doing these things. And that's not true. And you're actually perpetuating and reinforcing the disorder more than anything else. So I know that's a little bit dicey for some people because there's that whole, many people want to turn to distraction and there is value in distraction in that if we can get out of our own heads, things often improve. So the value in distraction should be in just getting your focus out. You know, so our focus is normally turned into inward and, and, and anxiety disorders. And distraction's value is turning the focus back out onto something external from yourself. That's the value of distraction. Distraction as avoidance or a safety ritual is not. So there's a really fine line. You got to kind of work on that. Now, why is extinguishing those behaviors important? Why did I have to work on getting rid of these little ticks that I had in the car? Because, and this is the part that people really have a hard time putting their brain around, 
The ultimate goal here is that you should be able to be in the middle of the worst wave of panic that you can imagine, and you should be able to sit or lie, not stand, not standing. You should either be able to sit down or lay down, and your body should be completely relaxed from head to toe, not moving in any way, and your mind should not be racing. Now, that's a really tall order. I totally get that. And depending on where you are in your progress right now, that may seem completely insane, you know, impossible and completely insane. But trust me, that is really what you want to work toward. Because when you can do that, and you can do that consistently, you have actually won the war. The war may not end right then and there. It may linger, and there may still be little skirmishes to fight. But you have defeated the enemy, and you have won the war. And your life will actually then be right back on track to where you want it to be. It'll take you still a while to get to that point that you envision. But when you could get to that point where you could be completely calm in your mind and completely relaxed in your body, that's why lying or sitting is important. Because if you stand, you may want to fidget. You've won the war. So this is why I had to extinguish these little safety behaviors I was engaging in, even though they may seem insignificant, they were not. They were indicators that I was still fighting the panic. And how did I do that? I'll give you the quick version of that. It's, it's really nuts and bolts and you can come up with your own tools, but since everything was happening with my right hand for the most part in the car, what I would do is I'd get in the car and I would immediately, instead of driving with my left hand, as is my habit, I would immediately put my left hand on my left leg and I would grab the steering wheel with my right hand. So now if I automatically started going for my nose or my ear or start to play with my shirt, I'd have no hands on the wheel. And when you have no hands on the wheel, your brain is smart enough to say, that's not cool. And I would have to put my hand right back on the wheel. So all I really had to think about was keeping my left hand glued to my left knee. Uh, and the rest sort of took care of itself. And I would say I was out multiple times a day every day. So I did it a lot. And it took maybe two to three weeks to really get rid of those habits where I could stop them on demand and I just stopped going for my, my ear and my nose and stopped playing with my shirt. The chin thing took longer because that's a harder cue to deal with. Um, I had to kind of really work on maintaining a particular angle of my chin and keeping my shoulder blades in contact with the seat back um, because when you're sitting like this, it's, it becomes much more noticeable if I crane my chin, my, my chin forward. If I'm sitting forward, it's easier to do this without noticing. So I, that was one's a little more complicated, and that one probably took me a good two months or so to really get over. And the same thing with my facial expressions and the squinting. But once I did, I discovered that my progress in terms of being able to expand my boundaries in the car started to accelerate. And that was because I had my mind, my, my head was bought into the, the plan, and finally my body was going along with it too. So I found that most of the time when I was in the car practicing, even when I was pushing a little further than I normally would go, my anxiety would go up, but I was actually sitting in kind of a neutral position with my hand on the wheel, and I, I was not uh, inclined to go and do those things that I would normally do. So I was keeping my body relaxed, and it made a huge difference. Um, I began to acclimate to the anxiety much faster because when I was fiddling and pulling and tugging and poking, I was actually prolonging the feelings. I was adding fear to the cycle, and that just keeps it going. So what I would find is my anxiety would still spike up, but it would spike up and then go right back down pretty quickly. So the, the intensity of the anxiety, while it kind of didn't really diminish too much, the duration of those spikes got shorter, and that made a big difference. Uh, I should have went through this light. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, that made a huge difference. So the takeaway here is not that changing your body language is some sort of miracle cure 
because I see too many people who stumble upon little things, maybe their dietary or exercise or getting more sleep or uh, meditation or whatever it may be, they find these tools along the way and they are valuable tools, but they go from one aha, this is it, to the next. And there is really no one aha. There's no magic tool that you can use that's suddenly going to fix everything. In this case, you're building your recovery like you build a brick wall. You gotta put one brick at a time and you're building that wall. And in this case, I think understanding your body language, being aware of it and controlling it and using it to your advantage isn't even necessarily a brick so much as it is kind of the mortar that holds the bricks together. Uh, so, but it's important because you can't build a brick wall without the mortar, right? You can't, you, otherwise the bricks would fall apart. So I would call that kind of mortar in the brick wall. It's super important. You got to have it, but just be realistic. It's just one part of the program, right? It's just, it's just one aspect of your recovery. It's important. It will definitely help you, but it's not going to fix everything overnight. That being said, practical considerations, what do I suggest you do? Well, you're watching this video probably means that you have a, a phone that you're watching it on because just a tremendous amount of traffic, you know, mobile traffic, uh, video traffic is mobile devices. So odds are you have a smartphone and that smartphone has a camera that can record video. So regardless of where you may be at any given time, I'm sorry, my nose really is itchy. Uh, regardless of where you may be at any given time, you can turn the camera on yourself and make a little video of yourself and what you're doing. You don't have to post it online. You don't even have to show it to anybody. It's just for yourself. It's only a tool for yourself. You need to be able to see exactly what you're doing when you're anxious. If you are home or somewhere where there are mirrors, you don't have to turn the camera on if you don't want. If you're gonna panic, panic in front of the mirror in your bedroom or your bathroom, and you will be surprised at what you look like. Um, when you look at yourself on these videos or you look in the mirror, you will look at that in a more calm and objective light and say, boy, that looks like a person who is fighting. You will be surprised at how much fight you have in you when you see that. And understanding what it is you're doing and trying to stop those habits will be part of this process that I'm describing and it will help you. So that's the deal. Notice your body language, understand what it means, use the tools that you have at your disposal to work on those things. And uh, yeah, just put another brick in the wall, man, every day. It's another brick. It's going to work out for you in the end, right? So that's the video for now. I'm going to ask you guys, hit my website, thatanxietyguy.com. You'll find links to my Facebook and my Twitter and my Google Plus and all that stuff there. You can follow me in those on those services, of course. All my podcast episodes and videos are on the website. You can watch them and listen to them there. You can comment there. So I love social media because you can talk to me that way. You can comment on this video. If you like the video, certainly like the video on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, all that good stuff. It helps. Um, I always ask if you are listening to my podcast on iTunes, uh, take 60 seconds. If you like the podcast and you think it's helping you and you'd like to spread the word, Give me a rating on iTunes, and you'll find an iTunes link on my website. Give me a rating, four or five stars, whatever you think is appropriate, and maybe take 60 seconds to write a quick review, because the more ratings the podcast gets and the more good reviews, the, the higher up in the search it becomes for terms like anxiety, panic, and agoraphobia. And if it's helping you, then maybe it will help other people, and that's really why I'm doing this, because uh, helping people with these things makes me feel good. Okay, folks, I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks for watching. I will see you in the next video, podcast, blog post, whatever. Uh, and I'll leave you with what I always say at the end of every episode, and that is 